Welcome back to another episode of The Set Position. My name is Cole Orner, along with my co-host, Zach Kruger. Today, we're going to get into the topic of dead ball situations, and we do have a special guest on with us, Amy Huff, who's currently the head women's soccer coach at Elizabethtown College in Pennsylvania. So, Amy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. And, Amy, what is, what's your background? What's your playing background and then your coaching background? Um, so I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I played um, <laughs> I played premier soccer for Supernova FC out of Harrisburg. Um, Me too. <laughs> yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, fun fact. And um, I, I went from there to LaSalle University in Philadelphia, um, and I played for the Explorers for four years. And um, Paul Royal, the head coach there, actually hired me as their second assistant right out of college. Um, so I got my coaching start at LaSalle. I stayed there for two seasons in 2009 and 2010 before moving on to be the top assistant at Lehigh University in Bethlehem. Um, while at LaSalle and even at Lehigh, I was the goalkeeping coach um, for both of those teams and, and really had a lot of, of time. So I guess it's important to mention, yeah, I was a goalkeeper too the yep. entire time. Um, <laughs> but then after Lehigh, here I am at Esau now and kind of enjoying seeing the entire development of a team. But I think it's really fun for our goalkeepers to have a head coach that has that background in goalkeeping. That It's just that perspective of how they can jump into the team as well. Yeah. And what's that transition been like from being this goalkeeper coach, specifically goalkeeper coach, to now, now you got to take care of the whole team. What's that transition been like? Uh, you know, it's been a fun one. Um, at the end of the day, I think um, I've had some tremendous mentors. Paul Royal at LaSalle was also a goalkeeper. Um, so utilizing him to kind of learn a lot over the course of my first two years as a coach of making the step from being just a goalkeeping coach to um, in being incorporated in some of the defensive sessions. And then at Lehigh, Eric Lambinas was tremendous in getting me out of GK land um, occasionally to run full team training sessions um, as my years went on there I mean probably year four and year five there was times that he actually said you know what I'm going to go take the goalkeepers and you take 45 minutes and be with the team which was pretty cool in that transition and there's a lot of mistakes that were made and a lot of learning curves that happened um, but I think it brings a different perspective if you look at a lot of head coaches around the country there's a lot of goalkeepers because I think we see the game in such a different way than maybe a midfielder or forward does um, that's not wrong it's just different um and i think the perspective that a goalkeeper can bring is we're always playing chess as a goalkeeper you're, yeah. you're never you're never just trying to play checkers and put one goal in the back of a net you're always trying to play the long game and make sure that you're proactive and everything which translates pretty well into being a head coach yeah i think it's interesting you brought up the point about we definitely see the game from a different perspective and it's um mm -hmm. you don't see you see a decent number of goalkeepers turn head coaches but a lot of times it's just normal. It's been a field player that's gone into the head coaching role, but it's, it's interesting. And Zach, you're kind of in the same position there. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's interesting. I think it's, as you said, it's, it really is a game of chess that yeah. you play as a goalkeeper and you're constantly thinking about what's the next thing that's going to happen and what's the next move. What do I, what do I do in these situations? And I think it's always, we're constantly thinking and it's never just, okay, this is what's happening. Yeah, I, I think a lot of coaches uh, were previous goalkeepers. Um, even in the PSEC, a lot of the coaches were, were goalkeepers. Um, that's my, the conference that I'm in. But, 
Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. But, but, you know, when, you, when you're head coach and you're a former goalkeeper, I always like to pair myself with an assistant that wasn't a goalkeeper then because then they bring a different perspective. So, you know, trying to find the balance is definitely important. You know, I'm a very defensive-minded, like defending first-minded coach. Um, you know, so I try to find someone who has a center-out type of perspective, so like a midfielder or a forward, just so it complements, you know, my, what my strengths are compared to what their strengths are. So I've always found that to be one of the harder things is, you know, from the, the, the right person to find, who you know, who wants to do this. That was a field player and wants to, you know, earn their stripes, take, take their time and, you know, put the time in. But, yeah, it's just an interesting thing that I've always noticed that a lot of head coaches are former goalkeepers. Yeah. Yeah. So diving into this dead ball topic, what would be – what would you describe as a dead ball situation? Amy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Pretty much any time um, the ball, like there's a stoppage in play. So anytime that the ball is out of bounds, anytime that you've got this second um, as a goalkeeper, as a, as a field player to regroup and, and figure out, okay, what's next. So that could be even a throw in. It could be a corner kick. It could be a goal kick um, for, for goalkeepers. Probably the most nerve wracking are those like dead ball set pieces right around the top of the 18. Um, but I think anytime that there's a stoppage that you can kind of regroup yourself um, and think about, okay, how do we set ourselves up and for success on the, this next play? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say there's a free kick right outside the 18, not straight on, but on a slight angle on either side. How would you set it up? Slight angle on either side. I mean, it's going to depend on how far away the ball is from the 18. I mean, if you're talking two or three yards, like you're now, I always like to think of, dead balls around the 18 you almost have like a little bit of a fan perspective if it's down in the corner it's very limited that you're going to need many people if any so one or none in a wall but as it gets closer to the middle I mean you're, you're definitely ramping it up so you're talking right outside the 18 on a slight angle depending on the, the game and the team and who you are as a goalkeeper it might be four people in a wall um, you're definitely trying to have people hold as high as humanly possible with that wall. So if the wall is just inside the 18, that wall is your line of where the rest of the team is going to be um, to create this buffer for yourself as a goalkeeper. I mean, I think the buffer is a huge thing in the confidence of a goalkeeper, but also in understanding you can, you're actually in the best position going forward and attacking a ball. But if your team is right on top of you, you don't have the lanes that you actually need. Yeah. Now, when you're setting up that wall, where are you setting up the outside player? Are you setting them up directly on the ball? Or are you setting them up that maybe their shoulder is over the ball so you can see through legs? How, how are you setting up the wall to effectively see the ball but then be able to obviously come forward and, and collect things? Yeah, so if um, let's just pretend that it's on the, the free kick is coming from the goalkeeper's right of the center line. Um, so as a goalkeeper, you'd be using your post as a guide to get that post covered. Again, I think the biggest thing is, is making sure that wall covers your near post. Um, obviously, really sophisticated free kick takers might be able to dip a ball over a wall. So you've got to put yourself then in a place that you can still get to that dipping ball. But 
I mean, especially at the division three level where I coach, that's probably not something that I need to worry too, too much about all the time. Um, and so for me, when I talk about with our team, it's your setting, our goalkeepers are taking that first person on the wall and they're using their left shoulder. So the inside shoulder is getting set on the ball in a direct line to the post. So actually that person is mostly outside of that near post. And that's to prevent against, um, maybe it's a, a curve ball. And it's also to make sure that if a ball does go sideways, that they still have a little bit of a advantage to kind of continue to cut down that angle. The rest are going to be set off of that. And I think it's a goalkeeper's preference of how they're actually going to be able to see the ball. If it's through someone's legs or if they're going to have a gap between like the two sets of players legs how they're actually going to see it but the wall has to be tight like that's one of the things I always pick some of my most fearless people to be in that wall because they have to not be afraid of getting hit in the face um, and taking one for the team if that if that shot comes directly at them yeah and uh thinking of those like AT&T bars right so going from little to high how would you set that up in uh as player wise, how would you set that up with the shortest person on the outside or the inside? Yeah, definitely the, the tallest person is on your near post. Um, at least that's, that's where I'm at with it. Um, there might be some different schools of thought, but for me, again, you're talking about that dipping ball over the, the wall that's going to go to that near post. And as a goalkeeper, you know that within a step or two, you might be able to get the ball that's dipped over the shortest person. So on the interior side of that wall, um, but you really want to kind of, present the optics of, yeah, I'm sorry, you cannot have the near post. You're not scoring at the near post. Um, now, of course, you might have some creative free kick takers. Like I can distinctly remember in the Premier League, you got Phil Coutinho, um, who is trying to hit a ball under a wall because they're jumping <laughs> to try to prevent the dipping ball going over top. Um, but at the college level, is that happening all the time? Probably not. <laughs> nope. No, I think, uh, no, I think that's great to kind of, I mean, I set – for me personally, I set up the wall the exactly the same way. It was always a left shoulder. Um, now it obviously depended. So if we're still on that right side of the goal, if it maybe a left-footed kick taker, I might slide that just even a half a step more to the right to protect that near post just a little bit more from that really swung in ball around the corner. And obviously on the opposite, if it was a right-footed kick taker, I might slide it just half a step to the left where now it's more in the center of that outside person to protect, again, protect that near post a little bit more because I know that ball is not getting swung around uh, the outside of the wall there. So um, it's all things that we're thinking about when we're in goal. It's all these little nuances that, okay, what, what's this person like to do when they hit a free kick? And what, what foot are they taking it with to, and that's going adjust, to adjust my wall accordingly. Yeah, when I was coaching the men and the women goalkeepers at Chip, I simply, you know, remember a situation where I think they were the men were playing like East Stroudsburg and they had a free kick taker that could just absolutely hammer a ball and it would dip hard or he could really shape a ball really well which is going to be curving the ball and I remember talking to my goalkeeper and in, in, in the training leading up to it and we actually took a body and a half to almost two bodies on the near post because this kick could hit a ball and what's crazy is we ended up losing to them in overtime on a free kick and this kid still whipped it around two full bodies. So we even looked at the film. I was like, you know, I, I don't know what else you can do here, man. Like, it's just the kid was really good at free kicks, you know. Yeah. And 
you know, but I would never tell a female goalkeeper to have two full bodies on a near post. I just think it's too, it's too excessive, right? There's, it's just not the same. So um, I think it's something one of the situations that you have to know your goalkeeper. You need to know their movements and how explosive they are and how much coverage they need. But then you also need to know the other team that you're playing against and if they have a free kick taker. So right. I think it's a little combination of both, right? Um, you know, the second year I was at ship, I had a goalkeeper that was a lot taller. He was like six, four, really lanky. So he didn't need as much coverage. So we, we, you know, I trained it a little bit differently. Um, but I think it just, it just depends on, you know, the type of goalkeeper that you have and, and, uh, who you're kind of playing against. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point, Zach, too, with the, just the, some of the differences between male goalkeepers and female goalkeepers. The center of gravity is so different um, that, I mean, a guy can definitely just kind of throw his body in one direction. And because his center of gravity is more top heavy in the chest, you're going to fly a lot quicker. Like females, the center of gravity is down in the hips. So, I mean, sometimes it's, it's understanding. And, and also as a coach, having some of that grace and understanding that if somebody actually laces a ball to a top corner in the, of the near post, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely just saying hats off to you. Great one. Like, it stinks. We're going to lose games sometimes because of it. Um, but if somebody actually places a great free kick, a goalkeeper might not have anything that they can do about it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's respect from the goalkeeper perspective is like great free kick. There's nothing more I could have done about that. I mean, hit it perfectly over the wall and I just, I can't get there. And that's, I think that's something that we've got to understand as a goalkeeper times too, is that there are going to be those instances where we just can't get to things. We're just not either we, maybe we look at it and we go, okay, well, maybe I should have been set differently to help me get there. Or it could be one of those, no matter where I was set, I was never getting to it. I just don't have that ability. So I think that's important too, is to realize from a goalkeeping perspective that we're not always going to get to everything, but we, we've got to be okay with that. And we've got to learn to, to find ways to deal with those situations moving forward and I was thinking so I was thinking of uh when we were talking about the wall I was thinking of a pet peeve of mine when we're setting up a wall so the ball is outside the 18 and now our our wall is inside the 18 and I've got players deeper than the wall and I mean as a coach as a pet peeve but as a player it was a huge thing for mine I was constantly yelling at my guys get up even with the wall you're dropping off and now you're giving an extra three yards to those players that there's a possibility of they're chip, they're, now they're chipping a ball in behind and the attacking player is getting onto it and now scoring a goal. No, get up even with the wall and let's not give them any more space than they're needed. And in the same respect, I don't want them in front of the wall either because now you're still giving the space in behind. So, and I don't know how you are and Zach, how you are with it, um, but man, that's, that, it just gets me. When, when players drop, especially my goalkeepers now that don't tell the players to step up, it's like, yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. I got another pet peeve too. Honestly, this one was the most irritating I've ever experienced. Was that um, my freshman year of college? I went to a Division three school in Virginia, and I ended up transferring. But uh, the head coach of that team, super nice guy, really knowledgeable. He wanted the forward to set up the wall from the other direction and make sure I'm just ready to make make a save. I'm like, dude, let me set the wall up, like. That is so irritating. I couldn't stand it. Um, it, was, it, was, it was very awkward. The forward was like, oh, yeah, just move over a little bit, man. Like, they had no idea how to set it up right, and it just caused so much more issues. So, people, let your goalkeepers set the wall, please. They know how to do it. They know what they're doing. They, know, they have a good angle that they can see. Like, let them dictate that process. 
100%. The sad thing is, is I think the two of you just gave me some heart palpitations because like, both of these things are giant <laughs> of mine too. And like, I am not a coach that yells and screams very often, but I can absolutely tell you one of the times in my four years at E-Town that I have lost my complete mind on a sideline, like sprinting, screaming, jumping, yelling, everything was when our wall had to be like, it, the wall was supposed to be set maybe at the PK spot and we're standing on the six yard box and I'm like oh, oh my god. god what is happening <laughs> oh my gosh well yeah I tell my, my girls in Seton Hill like listen seven yards seven yards no more make the referee back you up and if they don't want to back you up awesome I'll take yeah. that at seven yards not five not six it's gotta be at seven because you know it's too obvious if you're at five yards but at seven yards you might get away with it yeah and that's that whole, I mean, that's the whole communication piece from the goalkeeper is that they've got to own their box and they've got to be, they've got to communicate what they want. And I think it starts with communicating how many people you want in the wall. As soon as there's a free kick given in an area where there needs to be a wall, yeah. goalkeeper immediately needs to say how many people they need. I mean, that's, that's the first thing that should come out of their mouth, get that number. <laughs> and then we start setting up the rest of it. But once we get that number, then they can start setting up. Then I adjust yeah. the wall. And I think, Zach, you brought up a good point about the forward setting up the wall. And I think at times the forward doesn't always – I mean, if the forward's doing it, they're not always saying this. But as, from a goalkeeping perspective, we need to give language that the wall understands. So it's not just slide a little bit this way, slide a little bit that way. It's maybe saying steps, two steps right. Uh, baby step right. It's steps. having a conversation right. as a team about what those steps mean because I remember that's actually one of our preseason sessions as we talk about set pieces offensively and defensively is teaching our walls how to step. Like this is like I mean you want to talk about we have three goalkeepers here talking about this. Attention to detail is one of the biggest characteristics that you're going to have of a goalkeeper. There is nothing more that is going to annoy a goalkeeper more than details being missed and set pieces and dead ball situations are absolutely one of those things that are going to bring out that craziness in us because you're talking about, okay, how to set a wall, the baby steps that people are taking, the angles that people are, are kind of at, you know, here's the other one of being able to direct and actually have your field players staying with their marks goal side as they're tracking into that box and, and not just saying, Oh, you know what? I mean, I love it that they trust our goalkeepers and I love it when people trust me but honestly just figure out the way to track and stay with them until the ball is either in my hands or out of bounds <laughs> yeah right. right and I think speaking of that is sometimes I've actually like physically pulled players by their jersey to put them on a person because they're not doing anything <laughs> they're not listening <laughs> so it's grabbing them and moving and speaking them. to them <laughs> and moving them at the same time and being like, no, you're here. Go yeah. on this player. And I think, but again, it's that attention to detail. We're, we're thinking about every little piece that goes into dead ball situation. Yeah, so funny. I actually have a, a really interesting story. My mom loves the story about uh, me growing up uh, and playing high school soccer, which um, as people will hear on this podcast, my high school soccer wasn't the greatest. Um, kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere, so – yeah, we um, my senior year, we, we had, like, our all of our kids who actually knew how to play soccer pretty much graduated. We had, like, a very small group in my class that could play, uh, but we had a very young high school team my, my senior year, and um, 
we had a lot of freshmen playing, like a lot of younger guys. And they just had no clue what they were doing. So when it came to dead ball situations, I remember we were playing as a, a team in, in York, and um, I was like, there was a free kick right outside the 18. And I was like, I'm like, you know, three in the wall, four, four, three or four in the wall. And I was like, get the other end, right, right, right. Of course, they're not listening to me, right? I'm like, I'm trying to like get them on the right angle. I'm like, this one kid who's on the near post is like freaking out, right? He's, and I was like, listen to me, right? And he perked up and then slid over. My mom loves it because she like cracks up because it's like every time like I get, I get a little intense about something, she'll be like, oh, listen to me. You're like, <laughs> so yeah, but you know, sometimes you just have to like kind of take control back there and put your foot down and be like, no, you're going to listen to me and I'm going to be where I need you to be at so I can get to where I need to be, you know? And um, we won the game, luckily, but um, and that, that, that situation, the, the ball did not go in the back of the net, but. I just think it's you know, it's so important to talk about like the communication of things. If if they're not going to listen, you got to make them listen. You know, and Cole, you you know, if you have to go out and move somebody physically, like like dude, you got to move. You know, yeah. you see goalkeepers do all the time, but you have to be able to take control and you have to be willing to kind of be the jerk in this situation because you're thinking of you know how bad this could go. You know, right? Well, and I also think that you and you guys had Todd Hofford on one of your earlier podcasts and one Todd trained me when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he always used to, to make sure that all of us knew is you're either the hero or you're the goat. And I, I think understanding that these situations are going to be the things that can separate the men from the boys and the girls from the women in how you take control of some of these situations, you might get burned as you're learning how to kind of effectively control dead ball situations that a ball might end up in the back of the net. But if you're telling your team and you're taking control and you're setting things up, you can always learn and fail forward. You can always learn, okay, I did this the last time and that did not work. Um, maybe that was where you had the wall set, how um, you personally were set. But I think it's understanding that if you don't take control and you let somebody else control that box for you, it's really not going to be something that, I mean, it's going to be a more systemic problem than just you taking control and making decisions for your team. Right. I think that's important. So we've obviously dove into free kicks quite a bit. So let's transition to corner kicks, right? So I know personally, I love to have my six free and maybe six to eight yards free that I could work into. Um, now in college, we played a zone. So it was, I was able to push, push that um, deeper three up a little bit and give myself a bit more space. But I love to have that six to eight yards to work in. I wanted that as free as possible so I could work through. And I see some goalkeepers that are having players on top of them or even having, if there's a, an attacking player that's come in on the goalkeeper themselves, now they're bringing another player in with them. And from my perspective, it was always something that I disliked because it's just an extra body in there that now I've got to deal with to come through to come get a ball. So for me, it was like, if I have a player on me, just leave them. I'll deal with them myself, but I want as much free space as I can so I can come collect that because that six to eight yards is mine, on a, especially on a, on a corner kick. And I think, um, I mean, I don't know how you guys are with it, but that was, I mean, from a corner's kick perspective, I wanted as much space that I could work in as possible so I didn't have to deal with bodies. Yeah, I think it's a comfort level thing too, right? You know, some some people just don't like to have to manage a, an attacker on you. You know, I'm I was always fine with it. 
you know, I think you were, but I think there's some other people out there that just, they don't like having someone on them. So they'll take a defender and be like, dude, move him. I need, I need a little bit more space. So I do think it's a comfort level thing on a corner kick, but sure. you know, on the women's side, you know, I teach the way we do our corner kicks is just, it's kind of chaotic in a way. Like I put everyone right like around the six or in the six. So there's so many bodies around a female goalkeeper in the in division two that, you know, and I'm like, listen, your only job is to serve this ball into the six because that goalkeeper is not going to handle it very well. So, you know, I, I, I think it's about the difference between the levels now on the men's side in division two, I that doesn't work all the time. You know, you have like six foot five, six foot four goalkeeper sometimes. Um, you know, I'm smaller. So I'm like only like five, nine, five, ten. I don't like traffic around me. Honestly, I just need more space. Um, but I didn't mind like one person on me, but you know, um, I had, again, that, that goalkeeper chip was like six foot four. He had no issues with people around him because he was so tall. He just was gobbling everything up. But I, I think it's definitely a comfort thing. And, uh, there's, there's a difference between men and women. I think on the women's side, Amy, you can kind of agree to this, that, you know, if you just lump a ball into the six and everyone's in there, that goalkeeper's really going to struggle. So, uh, yeah. that's how we do it. And it works. You know, we, uh, I would say that we scored a, a handful of goals doing it that way. You know, it ain't, it ain't pretty, but it works. That is actually like, I love that you bring that up, especially on the female side. That is, I, I know Manchester United had a corner a while ago that they basically had um, every single human on the six. I know our national team, our women's national team um, started that every single person was kind of buzzing around that goalkeeper just to create some chaos. And I think this it wasn't the last World Cup. It might have been the one before that. But then they all had specific places that they're popping to so that they can um, attack the ball as it's coming in a hundred percent in the female game that drives a goalkeeper batty um and, and i we've done it at the division three level that we have goalkeepers we have coaches that are complaining to referees that we can't have eight people standing on the goalkeeper to start and i'm like why not they're not touching her um so i think it's it's being able to use the psychology of a goalkeeper of i agree with cole i, I think as much buffer as much space as you can have and, and to be able to have that clear path to attack a ball that's what you want as a goalkeeper you don't want to have to deal with traffic you don't want to have to like be able to to push people out of the way with a knee as you're trying to catch it or even think about like keeping that ball up really high so that you're not bringing it down on someone's head you want just clear green yep. pasture around you. Um, but I think it's, it's honestly, it really depends on the, the team. It depends on the level. It depends on, on, I hate to say it, but it does depend on the gender um, at times of how you're going to set up that corner kick. Do you guys put people on your posts as a coach or even as players? I, I had, I had someone on the back post usually because I wanted to deal with the near post space. I felt like anything over me, if, obviously I'm not going to be able to get it. If it's over me, I'd, I'd rather have someone on the back post covering that, but I felt like I could cover the near post. And then I had someone in the near post space because of the, the zonal um, positioning. But um, then obviously if that person left the near post space, I slid the, the back post person over into that space. But um, I like to have the near post free because I felt like I could deal with it because I was coming forward. Um, this fall we weren't, we did not do a good job of defending set pieces from like dealing with a flighted service. Um, I didn't have a back four that was comfortable winning the ball to the air, in my opinion. Um, they, they would do a good job uh, at times, but they were inconsistent with it. So we, we gave up a lot of set pieces goals from like farther out. So if it was closer to the goal, we actually did better. So if the ball was farther away and they had a, you know, a free 
you know, 50, 45, 50-yard 50 ball they could play in. My team really struggled with that for, uh, for some reason. And I don't know if it was, you know, they just didn't want to head the ball. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so I've always just – since we've had issues with flight of services on corner kicks became an issue, we gave up a lot of goals on corner kicks early in the season. So we made the shift of putting two people on the post. And later in the season, it actually saved us a couple times by them clearing the ball for the line. So – um, if you have someone who's willing to go up and win the ball on a consistent basis, I think that you can do that move where you don't have two people on the post, but uh, we struggle with that. So I, I had to implement, you know, sitting in a little more on corner kicks and really trying to deal with, you know, the shot coming in. But it was just a consistent issue this past year. We did a hybrid of sorts this past year. Uh, we always had someone on that back post because I think the worry is sometimes if the if somebody has a, a strong enough um, corner that they can clear the goalkeeper and get to that back post, that's a dangerous spot. Um, but the near post, we actually found that a lot of teams started driving balls towards the top of the six for us. Um, and it had someone meeting it there. And ra so rather than having someone on the post, which is what we had always done on the near post, we shifted that person to create a gap for the goalkeeper at probably like a five yard mark um, mm -hmm. to deter people from smashing a ball at the corner of the six. Um, and as soon as that ball, if they did decide to really like loft one in, as soon as that ball cleared their head, um, they ducked back in on the near post and got tight to that post. Um, because then if that ball, like ideally in the women's game, you're really just hoping for some deflections at times. Like if that ball clears the, that near post area, you're, hoping that someone is kind of heading it back towards the near post for someone to finish it there. Um, sometimes, obviously, if you can just go straight to goal, that's great too. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think that was our little bit of a hybrid and it ended up working really well for us and our goalkeepers ended up liking it because just like Cole said, having that near post free, that they can deal with the things that are coming directly at the post was awesome. But having that security blanket of someone being back there to protect it, if it did clear that area, we actually had one of our center backs clear the ball right off the line in uh, our homecoming game, which was a huge one for us um, to keep the game um, level at that point. Yeah, no, I think, it, and I think that's that kind of goes back to your point earlier: is that comfortability of the goalkeeper. What are they comfortable with? What do they want? What are they? Are they dealing with crosses? Are they one that likes to sit back and just get things off the line? Maybe if they're more the person that gets things off the line than it is having the people in the post, um, which I think is important. And Amy, you kind of brought a point a little bit earlier about um, catching the ball high in these situations, right? And I know Todd used to talk about it all the time about not bringing the ball down when you're in traffic, but I see it all the time about these goalkeepers now. They want to just immediately bring the ball down and cradle it between their chest and their arms. And it's like, wait till you clear traffic. I mean, Todd always used to say, use this moment for people to take a picture of you. And I think that was great is that they were able to, you're, you're meant to think about, okay, if I'm keeping the ball high, not only is the referee seeing that I've caught the ball, but now if I lose it, the referee hopefully will make a call. And then, but now nobody else can get it. It's all the way up there. And then from a, and we talked about this with Todd from a distribution standpoint, now I'm ready to, to distribute from that position instead of if I bring it all the way in, now I've got to bring it back out to either throw it, punt it, put the ball down and kick it, whatever it may be. Now there's more movement that has to happen and that distribution might not happen as quick. So I think that's an important point too. 
Yeah, and I also think that's a statement moment. The moment that you catch that ball and you leave it up there for a couple seconds for traffic to clear is such a statement yep. moment of, you know, hey, this is my box. You can absolutely cross balls in here if you want, but I'm going to catch them and I'm going to I'm going to hang on to them every single time and be able to deal with them. And suddenly, if you have a goalkeeper that has that type of confidence that is able to deal with those high ball situations, um, crosses tend to go backwards more. And, and as a goalkeeper, you've done your job. And we talk about being proactive and eliminating opportunities before they become opportunities. Those those statement moments that balls actually go farther away from your goal. You've done your job. And it could just be from a confidence that you're exuding that confidence of, okay, I mean, Cole talked a little bit about that six to eight yards. I think as a, as a goalkeeper progresses in college, you see that range continue to grow. It might only be six yards when they get to college, or it might be less, but you might end up having a professional goalkeeper that's confident up to 10, maybe even 12 yards, um, depending on the day, depending on the opponent. And I think the more that you can have that comfortability and those, those statement moments, the better for you as a goalkeeper. Um, so thanks again, Amy. And uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of The Set Position.